not to say there are rules. Every song has its own rules. Every song's sure. a universe unto itself. But okay. it needs to sort of obey its own laws. I love this country. I love the people and the land. But there's a lot of stuff happening that I can't understand. We got billions for bailouts. We got trillions for wars. But it's hard for working people to make a living anymore. Hear me out for a second. Hi, and welcome back to Music at Three Pines, the podcast. And I do mean, welcome back. It's been over a year since we last published a podcast, and it's nice to get back into the game. My name is Brad Rayleigh, and today we talk to singer-songwriter Scott Cook. We first met Scott in Montreal, but really first heard him live on a pandemic stream, and he was so good. He and his partner Pamela played our house this January to a small, vaxxed, and attentive crowd. Their music gave us a much-needed lift in a dark month. I would urge you to find his music and keep an eye out for a chance to see and hear him live. You won't regret it. By the way, much appreciation to my wife, Lisa Rayleigh, for editing this episode. This was her first podcast, and as you will hear, she is an excellent editor and co-producer. More of these to come. But now, Scott Cook. When did you first, when you were growing up or whatever, did you were like, I can do that and just start to write a song? Pretty early, yeah. Uh, and I, I couldn't say exactly when, but I know I was, my folks had a piano in the house and I was writing little songs with that uh, as a kid. And then, well, I think, I, I, I didn't think I could sing. I was, I was told by a couple people that I was tone deaf. And, really? And I, yeah, and I thought that was like a, you know, a, a diagnosis of a, <laughs> Of a condition, <laughs> so yeah. So I, I I was just really shy to sing, and thought I couldn't. And then maybe when I was I don't know, probably eleven or so. I remember maybe ten. Uh, the Beastie Boys, "License to Ill," came out. Kids were listening to that a lot at, at school. On you know, at lunch, they'd let us have our pick of what we put in the cassette player. Oh, how funny! And. Uh, Kids were listening to that a lot, and I thought, yeah, that I can write raps, you know. Interesting. I, if I can't sing. I can. I can at least do that. So that was a lot of the first things I wrote were little little raps, you know, and started performing them in some little scenarios, various scenarios in my small town, and then yeah, started playing in bands in high school, and I was writing at that time and singing these things like into a tape recorder. Uh -huh myself but still pretty shy about doing that so when did you start doing songs that are closer to what i mean did singer songwriter kind of uh americana well, i don't know whatever we whatever label yeah we have for that yeah so i moved to taiwan in 2000 and i was teaching kindergarten there and that's where i first started like doing solo shows um, and i guess i had written a few songs before that that no, it would have been during that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that made it onto my first album. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and at that time I was really kind of, I feel like I stumbled my way into songs. You right. Know, I didn't really have a process a per yeah. se, yeah. you know. I just kind of like, if I came up with something that tickled me, then I would just keep going with it. And, yeah, when I listen back to those songs, there's kind of a, 
a lack of symmetry to uh. some of them, you know, in, in, in a way that uh, is different from, from the way I work at it now. But it, in those days, I started doing my first, like, solo shows. I had a friend who had a bar uh, in a town called Shinju, which is just, like, 45 minutes by motorbike from my my town. He would hire me to go down there and uh, just play a, play a bar gig, you right. know. For a mostly chatty audience. Was that a mix of covers and throwing a yeah, couple originals? Yeah, yeah, a mix of originals and covers, a mix of uh, English speaking and non English speaking audience. Yeah, and that was kind of, that was my first taste of that. Did, is that when you started to maybe trust your voice? Because you have a great voice. Oh, well, thank you. You know, so it, it, or maybe, maybe the question is when did you, or have you started? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I feel, I feel fine about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a serviceable singer. Yeah, uh, I'd say more than that. When, uh, I guess in high school when I was recording it, I was shy about it, but, but recording it, I would uh. sing into the tape recorder and also sing into a mic, into a, into an amp. So at least I got used to the sound of what it sounded like outside my head. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty, pretty helpful. And then, yeah, making those recordings and listening back to what my voice sounded like was, was certainly like, yeah, just got me used to it and got me feeling more comfortable with it. And you uh, obviously found out that you were not, in fact, tone deaf. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) I mean, I, I guess I got better with pitch. I still can be pitchy, you know. Yeah, but I still had really pretty awful stage fright for a long time playing you know once I was doing those gigs uh, I started thinking about doing it back in Canada because I'd come back in the summers Mm -hmm. and just road trip around and stuff and see pals and was looking to where I could find gigs and and get play in bars and coffee shops and stuff like that and uh, gradually sort of trying to figure out how to book little tours for myself and and get a press kit together and take myself seriously you know to pitch for for summer festivals which is all i ever really wanted to do is play festivals hang out at festivals and be on the inside of that because i loved it so much but yeah in those days i was i was still contending with pretty severe stage fright like my hands would really lock up and um and yeah, I tended to, you know, have a few drinks always before I got on stage just to kind of try and take the edge off, which became a, a, a yeah, which became an unfortunate crutch over right. time. I'm glad that I'm that I'm over that now. But yeah, that, that through that process, I guess, just through getting up on stage yeah. again and again is how just I kind of learned to to inhabit that space a bit more comfortably. And uh, a lot of it in the early days was just open mics. I would just go to all the open mics I could. And Edmonton then, like, when I moved to town, had a really thriving open mic scene. And you could go out to two, sometimes three in the same night, Mm. pretty much any night of the week. I would just hit a bunch, you know. And and I felt like getting up on stage, like reading the room, deciding what you're going to do, getting up on stage and doing it and leaving the stage, that's one... That's a show, you know, whether you got paid or not, that's one kind of, that's one uh, click of the odometer, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, actually those open mics are the hardest gigs because really you hard. don't have time to kind of get settled in. I mean, you're doing yeah. one or two songs and yeah. then you're... And they're not there to see you. Right. So, you know, you've got to kind of try and get their attention and uh, make them laugh and tell them something and, and do your thing, you know? So really trying to condense that whole thing into into three songs or two right. songs or sometimes one song 
and doing it like two times in the same night, right. doing it as much as I could, that just, that, that gradually helped me kind of get over, mm. get over just the terror of standing up in front of a group of people and telling them about your feelings. <laughs> so we, you said, by the way, when you, when you started writing, because when you first mentioned an instrument, you talked about the piano, that your, your folks had a piano. Mm. Uh, when did you pick up the guitar? And uh, I get, My parents bought me an acoustic when I was maybe 11 or something. I didn't really play it and, and didn't stick with it. But then, yeah, when I was like 15, Nirvana came on the radio and... Uh, that that led into a whole bunch of other things and mm-hmm. me and my friends in school were really excited about punk rock in general and and I got an electric and I got a distortion pedal and and then I was kind of off to the races with that you know somebody showed me how to play a power chord and uh, <laughs> and then I was just off and running with that so acoustic guitar kind of came came back in while I was in university started playing picking a bit like that but you know really didn't I was quite unaware of that whole scene. I, I listened to Bob Dylan and I I heard John Prine a bit and I guess maybe I'd I'd, I'd heard of Woody Guthrie through Bob Dylan. I think the first sort of the first voice that really kind of opened up my mind and helped me find my own voice was Greg Brown, mm-hmm. and that was just my buddy had been to Edmonton Folk Fest and seen him there, and he brought the CD. Uh, slant six mind and i just listened to that and i was like oh god here like here's a guy who's like kind of got my vocal range right and uh just singing about ordinary stuff not really like he's not building a macho mythos around himself right. like like dylan was you right. know it just it just really helped me think okay i can i can i can speak from my own mm. point of view and in my own voice and you know help me kind of get out under the shadow of, of other artists that i had listen to yeah kind of that perception of what it's supposed to be and kind of freeing up what the opportunities are yeah yeah so when you were writing some of those early songs when you go back and you're thinking about that there wasn't much song there wasn't a writing craft about it it was kind of you happened into you just wanted to express something did you have a sense of kind of basic music theory at the time that you could work with uh i didn't know about calling chords by number in those days so that was a big revelation to me when that came along, because then if I heard a song and there was a really cool change in the song, you know, that like we were saying last night, oh, there's that major three chord. It takes it in a different direction. It's got its own color to it. Yeah. You know, so then just being able to identify those things right. and then take them and use them, repurpose them in your own compositions was a real revelation to me. And also just looking at the stuff that I had already written and realizing I do the same thing every time. When I go to the chorus, I go to the four chord, you know? Mm. I didn't realize it was the same because I was in D and I was going to G, and in this song I was in G and I was going to C or whatever. But just realizing the similarities in the things I was already doing kind of opened up a like, oh, maybe I should try going to the six or going to the five. So that sort of rudimentary understanding of music theory, which I think is very common for like bluegrass, and old-time players and that sort of thing, but just not not so common, you know, and people, whatever, who learn to play from rock and roll sort of mm-hmm. idiom. Blues players always talk in, in terms of numbers as well. You know, it just depends on how you came up, I guess. Yeah. And, and having that was like a key that really unlocked a lot. Yeah. You know? I am fascinated to take songs apart, and I feel like 
you know, what you were describing, that, that's been fun for me with the musicians I follow and listen to and even sometimes work with is sitting down and trying to figure out what they're doing, uh, a song that intrigues me. And mm. finding that is, it's unlocking a vision of it, I think, and it makes you understand the song a little bit more. At least yeah. From When did you first inquire about song craft? I mean, the writing, when, when did you first sort of say, hey, maybe I can learn from somebody else on, on the process of how to, how to write a song? Huh. Uh, yeah, boy, I think what you said about, about just learning other people's songs and analyzing them, that was really, for me, that was kind of the, what, what started me looking at song craft. And in particular, it was like meeting some other artists. Like I met Jonathan Bird pretty early on. And then I met Corin Raymond on my next tour. Mm -hmm. And Corin was a revelation to me, both in terms of performance, really looking the audience in the eyes and right. making sure they heard every word, and also in terms of song craft. And so just like learning, I learned a lot of Corin's songs and Jonathan's songs in the early days. Other artists too. Jeff Berner, Carolyn Mark, other Canadian artists that I was admiring and just kind of picking apart their songs and seeing what makes them tick. Because I believed in their songs in a way I didn't believe in my own yet. Yeah. And when I was performing for an audience, you know, I'd still be a little shy about my own. But if, sure. if I knew this, you know, this song, I know it's perfect because <laughs> it's not mine. I'm not shy about it, you know, and, and, and I want everybody to hear it. Right. So then looking at the way those songs work was really what what tuned me into craft and uh and that's been a big that's a big part of my sort of my process actually is just like uh a, a formal analysis there's um the way i think many people have talked about these sort of two two modes to creativity like there's this open mode and a closed mode there's a book called The Artist's Way that really inspired me. She talks about it like this inner child and this inner critic mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and how the cre creative process is like a dialogue between these two. And you really got to let the child play for as long as you can. You know, as long as you can yes. keep that door open, keep it open and see what comes out. And that's sort of, that's the connection to the unconscious. And that's where all this stuff that you don't understand comes from. For Mary Gaucher, she talks about basically the divine working through you through that. But there's this other side to it, which is, which is really putting it into a shape that that uh, that makes sense. And and I really think when like I mean, not to say there are rules. Every song has its own rules. Every song's sure. a universe unto itself. But like it that. needs to sort of obey its own laws. And for us to, for the listener to be invited into that universe, they have to have a sense that it's an ordered world. It's, it's sort of, it makes sense with itself. It's in, internally coherent. And I feel like a lot of the, what gives that sense is the, is the coherence of the form. Right. And like the rhyme scheme and the, the sort of the, 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 the formal structure of the song, the ways that, the ways that it sort of, uh, sets up expectations and, and reinforces them. If there's a recurring motif, all the kind of things that right. remind you, yeah, here you are. Yeah, yeah, it, it's like this in this world. Um, and, and, and even though I think the listener doesn't, when we're experiencing a song, we're not thinking, oh, how is this, how is this formally arranged? But I think right. that that, the, that sense of the craft, it, it comes through, the sense of symmetry yeah. makes you feel like it's a sturdy 
ship that you can you can trust the craft you know you can yeah you're going to be safe here because it feels like it all lines up and when it you know even even rhyme i think rhyme rhyme makes it sound true when it rhymes it sounds like it must be right And, and so that sort of for me a big part of of my creative process is either just either looking at another song that I admire, something that, that tweaks me about a form. Oh, the way they have that, and then they repeat that, and then they add another thing that rhymes with that, or whatever it is, right. whatever the form is, or just the whole, the whole form of the song, like in terms of like ballad form, or A-A-B-A right. form, or you know, verse, chorus, bridge kind of form, whatever the form is, that overarching structure, and whatever the sort of smaller form is in terms of rhyme scheme, chords by number, you know, all those things. If I hear something that's interesting to me, I look at it from a formal point of view and I think, how can I, how can I use that, repurpose that, you know? Right. And then when I've got an idea from who knows where, all that stuff, you know, I feel like it's about the, just the catching of the ideas right. and the writing it down, you know, when... That's some of that um, inner child... Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Just, you know, when that's, when that's happening, just to make sure to catch it, whatever you get. And then I'm trying to get that into a completed song. It really has to do with setting up some kind of arbitrary formal constraint mm. for myself. Like, okay, I guess I'm going to have four lines. No, maybe it's going to be five. And the first and the third are going to rhyme and the second, fourth and fifth mm-hmm. are all going to rhyme or whatever it is, you know. Uh, do you ever start with a chord progression? You've got a lick, a, a yeah. something that, that hooks and then you, and in some cases you start with an idea, some, some an observation, a, a, a story, a, anything like that then drives. So you do it sort of both ways. Both ways. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Any which way, really. I mean, a lot of times it's like if I'm just playing guitar and I come up with something, I just record it on my phone, the musical idea. Right. So then I've got a big catalog of all these little snippets of something that I thought that might be cool to work yeah. on sometime. And I've also got a file on my computer that's just a catalog of like little turns of phrase that I thought of or I misheard somebody else say something and I'm like, oh, that's not what they said, but that's cool. So take yeah. it, you know, whatever, all the, all the little things that, that, that I've gathered. And then when I'm sitting down trying to make a song... Uh, maybe I've got the start of a musical idea. Maybe I've got a hook. Whatever it is that I've got, I'm going to kind of look back through those musical snippets right. or think of, you know, the things I've been playing lately and which might, which might create that mood, which is kind of, I guess this, this idea gives me a dark and brooding feel. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to some, you know, some of my things that I, that I stored and see which one might right. set that. And then kind of just set up a form, you know, start playing it through and just think arbitrarily like, okay, I'm going to kind of go with this. Maybe I'm singing and playing and making sounds with my Mm -hmm. voice and just kind of settling on a bit of a melody or a bit of a a length of lines or whatever. Right. And then just kind of arbitrarily setting something. And sometimes as I'm going, I realize, you know what, this is constricting me here. I've got to like change it i've got to make it a waltz or i've got to i've got to add two more lines or whatever you know i've got to change the rhyme scheme that sort of for me that arbitrary delineation of the parameters of how it's going to work this sort of formal structure 
really paradoxically is sparks creativity Mm. because then it becomes less like just sitting down in front of a blank page and thinking I could say anything. What do I want to say? And it becomes more like you got a scaffolding to work Mm -hmm. within, you know, it's more like a crossword puzzle than a stream of consciousness, you know, cause now it's like, I know I need seven letters here and right. it needs to <laughs> intersect with this other word. And we got to have an H in the middle and there. the story is headed in this you direction know. or the, the, it's about this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Said, yeah. Yeah. Or the hook is, you know, the, the hook is this. So it's got a, you know, the last line needs to rhyme with that yeah. hook or whatever. Right. So yeah. just having some kind of restrictions, I feel like really, really inspires me to, to see, well, how could I, what are the possibilities here? And sometimes it really throws up things that, that restriction, even, you know, with the rhyme scheme, for example, really throws up things that I never would have thought of. And it can end up driving the, the plot of the whole thing in a direction I wouldn't have thought of just because it has of its that. Own, it has its own mind. Yeah, it? yeah. It's a creative thing that you yeah. start and then it, you, you follow it to a certain degree and go where it, Totally. Shanna, uh, I don't know if you know Shanna and Address, Shanna always refers to, she likes to take somebody's uh, music apart. She'll focus on one artist for like a month. Mm. And she was telling me this, and I thought it was wonderful. She said, I'm always kind of looking for their tell. What, what is that, that uh, thing that they uh, like to do? Uh. And of course, with, with bad songwriters, the tell is obvious. Mm. It's right there because that's the one trick pony. I mean, Listening to you last night, that that never even crossed my mind. I mean, I was mm. pulled in, and I love your description of this kind of it's chaos and order almost at the same time. That you know, you're right within a song, especially as a listener, it has to have some kind of inner coherence. I mean, mm. that we you know we don't mind being surprised at times. I mean, mm. there's that that tension that can work, but we do feel like there is sort of a parameter. So for you. The ideas come from a lot of different perspectives. It's not just one thing. Uh, it could be a, a lick. It could be an idea. It could be something somebody said. And then you start to pull those all together. Um, is this a, um, this is, it sounds like what you're describing is a purposeful thing too. It's like, you're like, all right, I'm going to take this time with this idea. Is it, is it spur of the moment sometimes where you're just sort of sitting and all of a sudden it goes? Or do you have like a writing time where you're like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to work mm. on the song. Mm. Yeah, sometimes spur of the moment. I don't know. There might be, yeah, more uh, gifted individuals out there than me who, you know, for whom songs are delivered more often, you know. Uh, for me, I think, yeah, it's it's, I could count it on one hand the number of times that songs have just come to me for the most part yeah i gotta work on it and i gotta i gotta sort of dedicate time and generally i i really i gotta dedicate time over the course of a few days to like even get into that frame of mind and i i are you are you letting the idea percolate during yeah time? and maybe several ideas you know maybe i'm just gonna turn my attention to writing and then there's a there's a couple I've got a couple, maybe three or four things open that I'm sort of, okay, well, this seems to fit in that jar and this seems to, you know, and then just kind of, I've got a, you know, a few pots on the boil. Um, but, but I need to dedicate time to it and I'm not always in the habit of writing in my journal, but if I want to write songs, I do that. I wake up first thing in the morning, write, write three pages. You know, that's another thing I got from the artist's way, um, without stopping, without, without 
thinking about what it is you're trying to say or, or uh, just, just, just priming the pump, you know, yeah. just getting it going. Tapping into that inner child. And if you can remember any of your dreams, write it down. And the next day, all of a sudden you're remembering more of your dreams. And, you know, just getting that, that kind of door open. Ideally, not looking at email, not mm-hmm. dealing with music business mm-hmm. stuff. Um, because all that is like the other side, especially when you're trying to create, you don't want to be thinking about how does this fit into my body of work or Mm -hmm. what are people going to think about me when they hear this or should this go on the new album? You know, like all those things are just so, uh, antagonistic to the, yeah. to the kid, <laughs> you know, yeah. to the kid at play, uh, that you, when, you know. when, when I was writing my dissertation, I actually had, this is how old I am, but I had a Yahoo page that I opened up on my computer and you could customize a little phrase at the top. And I put in there inner voices lie because <laughs> the, 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 the enemy for me was exactly as you're describing, not getting something down mm. that could all save the editing, the formatting all that stuff was for a later date you know mm-hmm. but he was getting an idea down and working with it and letting that go and it strikes me that the people who struggle at any kind of artistic endeavor that that inner critic just is there too quick yeah. it's telling you to shut it down and it, you know instead of letting it go and seeing where where it heads you know by the way i was going to say when you're talking about other artists i was thinking about i had a conversation with mary bragg about john prine and she said, you know, he, make, he made it look so easy. Mm, mm. Like it was just casual. And yeah, it wasn't. He yeah. crafted it. He worked at it. One of the things I've also thought is that when we see what we saw last night, those are all the songs that have been vetted and crafted and worked. And mm. you've gone through all the process of editing and comfort with it. And, and that's why they're there. But there are these whole hosts of songs, I'm guessing, that along the way get abandoned or shunted off or they go to, I mean, they don't work. Rebecca Lobby and I talked about the magic act of the show, that we see the best. Mm. And that can sometimes lead people to then not write because they're like, I can't do that. Totally. You know? Totally. And so you turning off that critic and just sort of doing the work and then mm. the songs yeah, totally. do what they do. I mean, so much of the mythology of, of I think the recorded music industry you know sold us this rock and roll sold us this you know this mythology of like that these people are different yeah than you right they're like gods they're you know they've got some divine inspiration and, and right. we should just scream and throw our panties when we see them I feel like that yeah like you say it's a magic trick it's <laughs> it's all this work that's gone into making it sound like uh, this is uh, coming off the cuff, you know? Right. Something, you know, you, you want it to sound as natural and like your own plain spoken voice as you can, right? And, and as effortless as you can. But that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's crafts, that's craftspersonship that, right. you know, only really, only other craftspeople will notice, right. you know, oh, look how they did that joinery and there's, right, no, right, right. <laughs> there's, right. no, there's no screws in there. Right, how right, do right. they do that, you know? Um, it's only when you look at the, the, the fine bits of it. And yeah, hopefully it, none of that pricks up the, the ears of the, of the right. listener, you know? Because right. you just want to deliver the, yeah. the song in as in his, in his effortless and natural well, a way as possible. My wife, Lisa, uh, uh, amateur photographer, very good, but she's always pointing out that those are works of art you see somewhere, photography, 
there were 500 other pictures that that person took, probably, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in the age of digital, mm-hmm. that didn't make the cut mm-hmm. because that wasn't the right one. And, you know, but you can easily find yourself taking that one picture and going, well, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, well, everybody's taking a terrible picture. Everybody's yeah. written a terrible song. Yeah. Everybody is, you know. And I always think about some people, actually, I mean, I, I dog on Neil Young. Uh, I love Neil Young. I think some of his work is as good as anybody has ever done. He's also done some stuff that I don't care for. And, yeah. But he's actually put it out there maybe more than some other people <laughs> have. And so, you know, but, but, you know, the other people embedded it maybe a little bit more closely. Is there a kind of general sense of how long it takes you to get from point idea to saying, I, I'm willing to play this on stage? Yeah, ideas will sometimes stick around for a couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. like something that goes in my song file that I see. Mm-hmm. That, that'd be cool to write a song about that. Yeah, they probably sit in there on average two years. Mm. I don't know. It depends. Sometimes something gets, gets uh, you know, comes to me and, and I work on it sooner than that. A lot of things I've been carrying around for a long time when I finally get to them. And sometimes it's just because, like, it's emotional territory that I don't feel like I want to go into, you know, if it's something hard that I just don't really want to. Uh, I know it's going to make me cry to dwell on it for yeah. a while yeah. um, and try and sing my way through it. Um, so, yeah, I've noticed that I put some stuff off if it feels difficult. When I'm sort of when I'm sitting down to actually do it uh, to write a song, I'll go back through that file and I'll look at all the other stuff that I've got and see. Oh, maybe there's this other thing that could be used in that. You know, for me, if a song really strikes me, it's pro- you know it's got a good hook, it's got a nice melody or whatever, but it's also got a couple little Easter eggs in there. Mm-hmm. You know that when I'm listening to it, there's like oh that thing. You know, and they they fly by in the live experience of a song. Yes. You know, and they just kind of set off little fireworks in your brain as it. As it, as it goes by, right? So I kind of just cull all those, see what I got, what I can gather of that, and then just and then just sit down and, like I said, kind of settle on a form and try and uh, try and populate that. And uh, and then, yeah, usually bat it to a friend or two to hear it. Corin Raymond has been a real good uh, uh, person to go back and forth with. Uh, on on our writing and then yeah once it's sort of in a performable form uh play it for people and uh and then just see how it feels and that usually takes a while for a song to settle into mm. the fi- its final form and maybe there isn't a final form but you know to the to the point where I want to put it on a record and and with that, it might just be a word here or there that's got to change, or it might be like the order of the verses mm-hmm. that's got to change or whatever. But typically, my test of that is singing it for an audience. Mm. And uh, So it, it will it, some of that is editing as you're first playing this out. If someone heard you the first time and then hears you a couple weeks later, yeah, they may the hear a diff- different. slightly different variation. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's really like, yeah, for me, the... the, the sort of litmus test is whether I can look the audience in the eyes as I'm singing it. And, and if I feel uncomfortable, like I don't want to meet their gaze in a part of the song, it's probably because mm. there's something mm. wrong. Mm. It is probably part of it that I don't really believe. Ah. It isn't really true. 
and and I can sort of sniff it out like it's like there's something in this I feel uncomfortable in the second verse yeah. or whatever right yeah. there's probably something in there that's not really my voice or is not really true like I'm not just writing for myself I'm writing for I'm writing for the the hearers maybe it's just like maybe these words sound different to yeah. different kinds of people yeah. maybe it means a different thing maybe it makes them think of something that's not what I mean I think we do that in speech anyway yes. you know we 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 take into account who we're talking to and with a song it's like it's 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 a it's a prepared speech that you want to resonate with whoever hears it and uh so there's got to be room for everybody in it and it's got to it's got to meet everybody's mm-hmm. ears somehow you know mm-hmm. so yeah there's things that I'll, I'll I'll just feel like after a while I'm like you know what I'm just not comfortable mm-hmm. with that and probably it's cuz it it means something different to the people who are hearing it to some people who and are it, hearing and it, it sounds like i mean it really ultimately is it doesn't connect with you i mean that you're 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 trusting an inner voice that's sort of saying oh this isn't right still needs to be changed or something yeah 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 i wouldn't yeah i mean i, I could see how what i've just said could sort of be construed as if i'm trying to pander no. or you know no but it's yeah it's like uh i want to say what i mean yeah and and if if that rubs somebody the wrong way because they don't like what I really mean, well, then so be it. But right. if it rubs them the wrong way because I haven't really said what I mean right. in a way that they can right. understand, then I need to work on yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you ever find one of your processes has to be kind of not becoming too precious about things? Oh, it's definitely a thing I can fall into for sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, especially when it really works, you know, like the rhyme and everything and the you love the way that the rhythm of the phrase goes right. over right. the tune or whatever. It when it feels perfect in that way, but it doesn't work with the whole. Steve Gillette talks about in, in a song that's done, all the sled dogs need to be pulling in the same direction. <laughs> you know, and 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 sometimes there's something that you might love, but it's it's pulling in the wrong direction and it's yeah. it can be hard to see that the more you love that thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe you get to the end and you realize, oh, now this is just dead weight here. Yeah. You know, or it's, uh, yeah, it's not serving the, it's not serving not the whole. Not serving the song. You know. Or the and, idea. And for the, for the listener, that's the hardest thing, I think, is to get out of your own head and think, you know, because you got this whole background of whatever it is you're thinking about, whatever whatever brought you to this point that you had something to say about right. this and the listener is totally unaware of that right so when they come into the song where do they come in and what what is it what is the song telling them about itself about here's the world here right have a look around um here are the characters or whatever yeah. it's it's hard to it's hard to take yourself out of your own sort of uh, background view of it and just just see it as as the trail of breadcrumbs that it is you know this first verse reveals this and then that and then that and it never says anything about that we don't know who this person is or why they're here to kind of get get inside it like that is uh is it yeah it's it's a bit of a trick it's a bit of a a mental gymnastic to you know to kind of yeah to kind of step outside that and 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 definitely like you said not being too precious Mm -hmm. about about what you've already put down, you know, um, comes in because yeah, because yeah, because it's 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 this other the w- w- 
the steps you took to get there are not necessarily the steps that the listeners take in right. as they come into right. it. And maybe those steps that you took, maybe you can pull up the ladder after right, you right. get there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I always used to tell students that the, the, you know, that the, the analogy was the blind spot in the eye. All of our, you know, we have a, a blind spot in each mm-hmm. eye. And I learned about this because my mother had a benign, it was just a little blood clot in her eye. And it gave her an extra blind spot for a mm-hmm. little bit. And the eye doctor said, it's fine. It's not a problem. And in fact, the blind spot's still there. It's, it's not going to mm-hmm. go away. But in fact, your brain will fill in around it. Mm-hmm. And the warning was, as a writer or a creator, is that if you're, if you're not careful, your brain is filling in all the gaps. Because like yeah. you said, that's your experience. Yeah. And you hear it that way. And if you can get outside of that and see how somebody else will experience it. I mean, it can be perfectly fine to write a song just for yourself or to write something just for yourself. But if you're actually wanting to communicate something, at some point you have mm. to, you know, be able to step outside of that and, you know, see around the blind spot and see what's yeah. there kind of thing. You know, yeah, that's the perfect metaphor. Yeah. yeah. I love your description of, of, of this writing. This has been, it, it's interesting how there's so many similarities with other writers and yet there's mm. this new little take here and there where I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way, which is why I like to do this. Aren't some people just famous for being famous? Isn't that about all that they do? And couldn't the radio leave you feeling aimless? Just a nameless person like you. But I sure heard the words Woody Guthrie sang Even when they didn't quite rhyme He knew the heart was the stuff They'd be close enough Further down the line Let me finish by asking you just a couple of other questions. One of them is, who of the writers out there is somebody that when they put out an album, you pick it up without even thinking because you respect their work so much. Corin Raymond, uh, who I've already mentioned, I'm always, always got an eye on what that guy's doing and, uh, and, and what he's turning out. Uh, Anna Tivill, um, blows my mind every time. Yeah. Justin Farron, um, Rachel Kilgore, yeah, I mean, I could go on, but then I'd be leaving people out. Right, right. No, no, I mean, there's so many people. But let me ask a slightly different question then about, let me just preface this. There are times when I listen to people write a song and or, or hear the, the song and break it down. I'm like, well, theoretically, I could do that. It makes sense to me. The form actually is logical, the, even the lyrics, even though they did such a good job, and I'm not saying I I could have, but it, it makes sense to me. There are times when I hear a songwriter, um, and I actually felt this way last night when you did the Letitia James song. There are there are songs out there that when I hear them, I can't for the life of me imagine how they got there. I'm so glad they did, um. but it never would dawn on me to have that form or that melodic shift or that whatever. Is there somebody like that for you that is somebody you just love to listen to, but you could never... Do what they do, kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Anna Tivill. Um, I don't understand her songs. I don't. I don't get them. 
yeah, she does she does something with just piling up images mm. that really has this cumulative effect that is yeah, kind of inexplicable to me. Um Justin Farron as well. He's a writer that yeah, I don't get where his songs come from and musically as well as lyrically, you know, they're really they're really baffling and amazing to me. I mean, I think um, both of those artists are, are ones we both uh, admire. They both seem to make it look so easy. And I'm guessing yeah. if I talk to them, in fact, I need to do this with Justin and find out his process of actually, now I'm starting to say it like a Canadian, um, uh, how, how he actually gets through his this. process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, they, they make it seem so easy, and it's just uh, kind of stunning how good they are. Uh-huh, um, and that's, uh-huh. that's why I feel every time I hear them. So that's... Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think I think the more that you study someone, maybe it becomes less mm. mysterious. I don't know. I mean, like, because I mentioned Corin Raymond, and I I could sing you probably twenty or thirty Corin Raymond songs. Like, I really mm-hmm. know his work, and I I guess I feel like I sort of have a because we've co-written as mm-hmm. well, just a little, but um, I, I sort of have an insight into how his process right. works, and right. I. And I, uh, I'm, I'm maybe not so mystified by uh, it. But then again, that being said, I mean, yeah, he's got a song called Morning Glories. I don't know if you've ever listened to Corn Raymond, but he's got a song called Morning, Glo- Morning Glories that's, I mean, yeah, I've talked to him about, about how it came about mm-hmm. and stuff. And yeah, he went to a, you know, a writer's hang at one point and somebody gave him a suggestion that kind of mm. took the song in a further direction. So, you know, I know a little bit about the genesis of the song, but still to me, it's like, it's just baffling. Like I, yeah. I can't believe it exists. Right. <laughs> and, you know, right. <laughs> I remember, uh, yeah, I remember him playing it in, in, in Toronto. <laughs> Another writer saying, so a human being who lives on earth <laughs> wrote that song. <laughs> Because it just does something. I mean, I sang a song last night, the, the kid with the comic uh-huh. book, this Trevor Mills song. That yeah. Just you know, it's like it, it 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 seems like it came from another planet. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 It's brilliant. Yeah. But it did feel that way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, by the way, just real quick, do you do quite a bit of co-writing, or is that something you're comfortable not with? Not a lot. It's it's but, not your comfort zone. I'd like to do more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like it when. Um, yeah, when I like the writer. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's interesting. I've talked to several people, and there's some that really find that just so almost invasive. Other people love it. That's where they get so much. But for others, it's just, it really has to be, you know, because in Nashville, there are people that just make appointments and go co-write yeah. with people they don't really even know. And I mean, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, it's hard. I don't know. The push and pull of it is hard for sure. But I've had some good experiences like that. And it's cool, you know, when you when you pull one off, people will be like, "Wow, this is like a yeah. different direction for your writing," you know. Interesting. <laughs> You're better than you used to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the last question is a question I always have to preface because it started as, <laughs> "Do you have a guilty pleasure music?" And then I feel guilty asking that question, so that that's part of the problem is because I don't actually think that we should feel guilty about something that we <laughs> like. But is there something that you listen to? and enjoy that maybe your fans would be surprised that you listen to and enjoy. That might be another way to get it. Oh, well, I mean, I, re- I really, I love hip hop. I love reggae. 
and maybe that might surprise uh, my fans, <laughs> maybe. But uh, I love punk rock as well. But uh, as I, I think as far as a guilty pleasure, when I was like a preteen living in Tumblr Ridge, British Columbia, we only had one radio station. Uh, well, we had classical and then we had the rock station. It was 101 CFMI out of Vancouver and they played a ton of like Jackson Brown and the Eagles and Bob Seger and all that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, that stuff got pretty deep in my DNA and some of it, uh, some of it's great. Some of it's not a guilty pleasure, but some of it's pretty cheesy. And uh, for whatever reason, there's still something. There's still it's still got it's still got a, 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 a close to my heartstrings, you know, like Desperado or like Turn the Page. <laughs> like I don't know why these songs still they still rock to me. <laughs> they still right. like they still speak to me deep down somehow to my adolescent sort of fantasy of, right. of of the wider world or whatever <laughs> and it's you know it's the silly kind of machismo about these about this voice and you know so that yeah a guilty yeah, pleasure. yeah 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 is there this is not something i've asked but but one of the things i've thought about is there was music i listened to when i was in my teens that i wanted to like and i just didn't get and now, Bruce Springsteen's The River. I wanted to like it because everybody was like raving about it as one of his great albums. And I listened to it as a, as a teenager into my 20s. You know, I don't know if it's too much screaming or shouting or something like that. Mm. I rediscovered it like in the last six years. Mm. And I'm like, what was my problem? That's actually a really good album. I mean, mm. all the way through. And I was like, is there anything that mm. jumps to mind like that? Something that you... Mm. Because we all have stuff that we look back and go, how did I like that? How, how was I listening to that? Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah more like that <laughs> for me. More like that, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. There's like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that really spoke to me in my in my teens that, yeah, I, I, I it still gives me a sentimental kick, you know, but I, I wouldn't recommend anyone. Oh, you must check this out. You uh, know? For me, it's Journey. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a, a famously awful video, which uh-huh. I know you've seen of one of the Journey videos. I mean, it's it's terrible. <laughs> but when that came out, I liked that. I thought <laughs> yeah, it was right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I loved Vanilla Ice, you know, when he came out. Yeah, there's so much of that stuff. But yeah, a lot of the kind of, like, I really loved Pavement. That was probably uh, my favorite band in grade 12. You know, I could take it or leave it now. I think the fascination for me was how it fit into the wider cultural mm. picture at the sure. time. Sure, And uh, I thought they were cooler than other bands. <laughs> but, oh, that's uh, awesome. I don't know. I, I, I don't know about stuff that's, that's coming along. There's definitely stuff that I feel is, is musically out of my reach mm. that I gradually come to appreciate mm. a bit more. Yeah, it tends to be about the musicality that's mm-hmm. just like like Afrobeat and mm-hmm. you know stuff that's just like it's hard to dance to and it's mm-hmm. and it's you know there it's it's a little complex you know the outer reaches of jazz even some you know ragtimey stuff and mm-hmm. whatever that that uh, compositionally is like super interesting but just a little a little out of my reach 
it's like a smoky whiskey or whatever. Mm, it's like, yeah. you know, you keep returning to it and <laughs> gradually it's like, oh, I do like the taste of boot leather. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sitting down, by the way. This has been fascinating. Oh, and, thanks so um, much for the chat, I'm, Brad. I'm looking forward to what happens next with your with your tour and, and hearing about that. And mm. um, next time you're back in, in Colorado, I look forward to to seeing you here and getting other people to to listen to your music. Ah, so. Well, thanks so much for gathering those folks last night. Yeah, that yeah. was fun. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you will continue to support artists. They need our support and we need them. Please purchase merchandise and music from musicians or their websites when you can. And be sure to check to see if they have a Patreon page or Kickstarter project. We need our poets and truth tellers now more than ever. See you next time on Music at Three Pines, the podcast. I know everyone's a good dog under these three pines. Everybody's Everybody